1: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the metaphor story with my friend Peter Rentschler. How are you going, Peter?
0: I'm great, Joe. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, thank you so much for being out. Man, we talked years ago about you being in my podcast, and just we we delayed it, postponed it, and finally here we are. You've been so busy out there making the freight world faster, better, smarter. Now you haven't come on my beloved podcast. So thank you for finally making it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm lucky to have been able, I think when we were talking before, we were a pretty small team. And so I think, I think I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here because we've, because we've been able to hire great people that can, that can run the business and serve our clients without me, or at least complimentary. (laughs) So for
1: those who don't know what metaphor is, please introduce it and your and you and where you're at today.
0: Yeah, so so we are a strategy and technology consulting firm entirely focused on logistics, transportation, and supply chain. Um, and we actually just went through a rebrand and a new name this week. So, Metaphor is our new name. It's actually Greek for transportation. It also means movement. You know, our 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 company, the company, what's the your old name? The previous company <laughs> name was was Carrier Direct, and which. Which you know, the original business model was kind of outsourced outsourced sales for regional trucking companies, which CareDirect makes sense for that. CareDirect does not make sense for a kind of global transportation, logistics, and supply chain consultancy that that ultimately, you know, we, we tend to think of kind of four service offerings to the business. The first is typical growth strategy management consulting. Help us figure out how to get bigger. We've hit growth plateaus, lots of org design, process improvement, compensation programs, training. The second is tech strategy. Where's the business going in five years and and what systems capabilities do you need to support that? The third is custom software development. We've built applications from scratch for companies like FedEx. We've built a TMS for for FedEx. We've we've also built modular applications on top of existing platforms, like we've built a margin management tool for J.B. Hunt 360. And then the fourth is what we call it's actually a proprietary software software product of ours called Socket, which is an integration platform that has out of the box integrations to major uh, TMS providers. Think of it like like integrations as a service. And so, you know, Carrier Direct doesn't really represent everything that we do. Right.
1: We we built a nice brand name just from the work you're doing. And you guys have a big, uh, big footprint. So who do you guys serve? Who's your main customers?
0: Yeah. So, you know, we tend to think of them as capacity providers. So we do a lot of work with carriers, freight brokers, 3PLs, you know, kind of on the low end, maybe a hundred million in revenue all the way up to the multi-billion dollar publicly traded and private equity backed folks. Second customer, we, we you know, second customer segment would be. Shippers, so retailers, manufacturers, distributors on their transportation strategy and the technology that they use accordingly. The third would be freight tech companies. So we've done work for Project 44 and Convey and TMW and, and others. And then, and then the last would be private equity firms um, and, and investment banks and, and VCs you know, making plays in the space you know, and, and or looking to make sizable investments. Very
1: nice. Very nice. Well, I know you guys have grown like a weed. And I, I, we were talking about before we hit record. You guys talk to everybody in this business. And uh, I know um, I was just exchanging messages or maybe it was uh, No, I just saw a LinkedIn update. You guys were down at the uh, down in Florida at the uh, Ben Gordon's event.
0: Yep. At BGSA. Yeah.
1: Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, I mean, I think around.
0: Ben Ben does a great job with that event. I, I think it's one of my favorite and probably my favorite intimate event. You know, it's probably 250 to 300 attendees, invite only, mostly CEOs. And, you know, the great part is that the only private equity firms allowed are those that are coming as a part of the management team of the business that they're invested in. So, And you don't have the institutional investors beating up you know, writing down every word that you say if you're if you're publicly traded. So everybody gets to kind of you know let their hair down and let maybe, down maybe yeah, maybe, <laughs> may, maybe, maybe have one more drink than you should. You know, and enjoy good company. And it's I mean, it's incredibly well attended, and it was uh, it was a lot of fun to go to. Is it is it hard
1: to get people to go down to Florida in uh, January?
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, and it's, and it's at the Breakers Hotel in Palm in Palm Beach, which is just beautiful and an institution in and of itself. And this is actually the first year I brought my wife and, and it's amazing. It's amazing how many others, you know, bring their spouses or significant others because we, we stayed through Sunday. I mean it was yeah, it's easy to get down there and, and justify staying. Well I know
1: last I know last year um I had been on and he said last year he had to do a lot of it virtual, right?
0: He did, yeah. They they moved it virtual in 2021.
1: Yep. So before we get more into metaphor, formerly Carrier Direct, tell us a little bit about you, Peter. Where'd you grow up and where'd you go to school? Give us some give us a, some insights into you as a, a young person.
0: Yeah, so I, you know, m- moved around a, a, a fair amount as a kid, but consider myself to be from the Detroit suburbs of Michigan. You know, that's, that's where I spent kind of the majority of time, but had a couple stints in California and Chicago along the way. You know, I'm, I'm lucky. I have one younger sister who we get along incredibly well. I'm, I've got great relationships with my parents, which I'm super happy about. Was always kind of raised in a good family household, which I appreciate. Your
1: dad's kind of well known in this area where I'm from. I'm in Michigan. Your dad's well known. He's a is he an advertising guy or
0: something. Yeah, yeah, he's in advertising, and we do we do. Share he's very well known. We do share the same name. He's he's had a great career with you know a bunch of different WPP agencies working on the Ford the Ford business. yeah so, yeah that was where J- I needed the name yeah of it. JWT JWT and YNR and a few others um, kind of all part of the WPP family.
1: So did you uh, play sports? You were in, in the band. What did you do as a kid?
0: Yeah, I um, I did play sports. I actually yeah, I played um, soccer, hockey, lacrosse my high school and then and then you know it's did, did kind of the other stuff that kids do running around your work as a kid i did work and and actually you know my um it's funny when you were saying when you were saying kind of what did you, what did you do like while i did play sports i was i was very into, into go peds like motorized scooters at an early age and and it was part of when we moved out to california for a year and a half when i was 11 i got one out there my parents were trying to by my happiness, because I was having a hard time (laughs) with making friends. And we, uh, so anyway, long and short of it is kind of, I I guess, I I never really think of it this way. But actually, my first, my first, first job was actually kind of buying broken go pads, and and then buying (laughs) parts, fixing them up and selling them on eBay. I I had, I had a pretty sizable eBay business going, you know, when I was nice, (laughs) when I was probably 13 years old, and then and then at around the same time, I had what I consider my first real job, which was I worked on the grounds crew for a school in the summers. And so I was—I started when I was 13 years old, which I probably shouldn't. I, I, I won't <laughs> say the name of the school, but you know, I—I'll never forget. The school has a pretty big hill, and they have like the riding—you know—the expensive riding lawnmowers, which there's no way in hell they'd ever let me let me drive. And I, and I shouldn't today either, but, but, but there's, there's a part of the hill where it's too, there's a part of the grounds where it's too steep to ride a riding lawnmower. So they had a push lawnmower and a pair of cleats. And and so what you would do is you'd actually have to kind of stand under the lawnmower with the cleats on and push it like perpendicular to the hill, you know, to actually, to mow it. And, you know, that, that was, I mean, I did that there. We had a whole summer where I, I worked on this grounds crew for like six or seven years. And, 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 you know, I, I am a big believer in the value of manual labor at an early stage. I've been very fortunate. My my parents have given me a lot in the world and, and helped you know, college and school and everything. And, but I, I, I look at, at my friends, and even I mean, it's it's one of the things we look for when we hire. Is at some point in your life, have you had some manual labor or service industry job? Because it's, I mean, it teaches you to respect. And I, I'm like, I'm the guy who I, I pick up whenever I see trash on the ground. I pick it up because I was the guy that had to pick up that other right. people's trash for six months for six six or seven years of my life.
1: Yeah, I think it's important, and I always say that the joke of it is, is we all kind of do that as a kid. And then as you get, if, 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 as you get successful, you're like, "Why well, don't want my kids to go through all that. Well, yeah, you do.
0: <laughs> I think you have to, I think, you know, kids should drive crappy cars and, you know, I mean, it teaches you to appreciate things and, right. and, and, and respect, you know, respect the alternatives. The other, my, the other thing I did after, that was I, I worked as a, as a valet at, did you ever go to Jack's on the, on the water and like St.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's cool. So, so, but, but what was interesting is they also, they're also on the water. So I was like a dock boy slash valet, but I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I, I would work on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, cause it was kind of, it turned into a nightclub at night. It was open until 3am. I would work from 11am to 3am for four days in a yeah. row. I made a ton of money, but I—I I mean, I—I I learned, you know, I—I I really learned to appreciate work ethic. That's
1: so. Is that Lake St. Clair?
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I—I I
1: grew up. I went to. Uh, I worked down at a bar restaurant right there, uh, Marina and Wyandot, and man. Oh. I know people, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, you'd know the name if I told you, but my dad's buddy owned it. And it and it burned down. I helped rebuild it. And then I worked at the party store, the marina, and the bar, which was a huge bar. And, man, I always used to say, there's no drunk like, coming off the boat when it's 98 degrees drunk. Those people come staggering off the uh, boat. Yeah. You're like, third-degree burns on their face. And you're like, first thing, I want a beer. You're like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not serving. Yeah. A it's different, so a di- different, different group then. <laughs> so true. Anyway, where'd you go to college?
0: I went to Indiana University.
1: Ah, very nice.
0: Yep went uh, went to IU. I had a really good friend uh, that went to Michigan that encouraged me to look at Big Ten school, and I wanted to get out of state and kind of make some new friends, so or, or kind of like expand my my social circles, if you will. So had had a great experience there. I studied. Uh, informatics, which is applied computer science with a business and business concentration. You know, I started college in 2008. So so I I studied applied computer science business, got minors in marketing and Spanish. And then I also had at least two jobs all throughout college. I worked at a sorority kitchen. I started an intramural lacrosse league, which was kind of my, I'd say kind of my first maybe formal entrepreneurial Endeavor. I started a, a student newspaper, kind of like a like a um, like a student version of the Onion. I, I had a couple other jobs. I, I've probably pushed out of my memory at this point, but, <laughs> but I, I had a great experience.
1: And so, wh- what was your first gig out of school?
0: So I worked at Accenture, the strategy. Oh wow, the big consulting started firm. big. <laughs> yeah, I I still can't believe I. So I actually stepped on some glass at a bar about a week before the career fair in October. And I I think I got the job because the partner that I met with for my on campus interview felt bad that I was on crutches. <laughs> and so he like recommended me for the, he, re- for the after- he remembered you anyway. He remembered me. Yeah, exactly. But nonetheless, so yeah, I was in the strategy consulting group at Accenture, which I had an incredible experience, met, met a lot of met a lot of great people, learned learned a lot, learned a lot of things, learned a lot about what to do well, but also mm. You know, had some experiences that that ultimately kind of that left a bad taste in my mouth, and have kind of shaped some of the company values and the way that I've thought about scaling and hiring and and growing the team at at Metaphor and the way that we treat our customers too.
1: Yeah, you know, I've worked a, I worked uh, in automotive, and I, I worked uh, out of a program management office at Chrysler, which is now sure. Stellantis, and I remember working with Accenture and Deloitte and. there's probably like 10 companies at any one time. So I worked with a lot, very closely with a lot of them and you know, they're great groups, the great groups, you know, generally speaking, great groups of people, but man, they're, the expectations are really high. You need your customer to kind of support what you're doing and it's expensive. (laughs) It's very expensive. And then, (laughs) and I would say this is the challenge sometimes is, you know, you bring in, you know, the partner sells it and then, Hey, Here's, here's Junior. He's he's he, you'll talk to him every day. Well, where's the partner going? Well, back to the office. right? He's going to sell his next gig. So, in a lot of ways, you're working with a lot of very young people, really, really smart young people who you know are going to do well.
0: <laughs> well, and, and and ultimately, like you know, I was billed as a banking industry expert three months out of college right. with, <laughs> with no training for for th- for three fifty an hour. I mean, and 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 the whole thing. You know, it, it, it bothered me that I, I realized that we built these like beautiful strategies that were not grounded in reality. And so that's like, if you look at our, if you look at, um, if you look at our team today, it's folks like myself that are classically trained consultants that, that do know how to do the structured problem solving and, and the thorough analysis. But we partner it with people like, you know, my colleagues, Ryan Schreiber and Adam Perlmutter and, and Robert Bain and, and Lisa and, and like, who, who have spent 15, 20 years in transportation right. and in logistics that know what it's like.
1: That's the difference though, is, is industry specific. Like you guys only do one industry exactly. and those guys are dragged from one industry to the next. And as you said, being called an expert, I always remember working with an expert in automotive and I remember he said, hey, I think, you know, and he said this at a meeting with all these execs. Hey, I think we can just pull you know, that launch forward three months. And all he knew was what his little area, like, yeah. <laughs> and, it was, yeah. and it was such a ridiculous thing to say. Anybody who is in automotive kind of would be like, what? And then you're like, Oh, that's the blank guy, you know, <laughs> from some consulting company. And we're like, Oh my goodness. Like, he knows nothing about this industry. And, uh, we're paying a lot by the way there the one, uh, infamous thing, there was one of the consulting companies came in and it was, uh, eight hundred dollars an hour and it said for the partner and it said listed his what he'd be doing on the project and one of the things was thought leader no, no not thought leadership thoughtware and we're all like circling it thought where somebody's like Does that mean he thinks yeah. we're paying for it? Is, is, is it thought where is he thinking and we're paying we're like i think that should just be included with what we're getting here
0: i mean you would think so but it's funny i mean one of Ryan loves to tell this story about how one of our clients, you know, was like a, you know, billion dollar private equity backed, you know, f- freight brokerage 3PL. And they hired Bain. They paid Bain $2 million to do a buy versus build analysis on, on the, on the, on, on, right. T- on TMS. And, you know, Bain, Bain recommended McLeod. And don't get me wrong. McLeod is a great right. product for lower middle market and growing. Brokerages, but but for a billion dollar business to suggest that it makes sense to buy an off the shelf TMS is so disconnected from reality, and 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 so I I think two million dollars is a nice payday for somebody. <laughs> well, it, it was, and and by the you know and by the way, it took them three hundred slides to do it, which is what you're paying for, and so you know, and and you couple that with, I mean, a couple of the other things that just rubbed me the wrong way were, you know, I I had a partner. There was there was a situation where I corrected a partner in front of the client. He misquoted some data and was wrong. And and he like reamed me out after the meeting and said, You never correct me in front of a customer. And I'm like, Well, sorry, like I did the analysis. I'm we
1: were just people. I'm sorry. <laughs> well,
0: you yeah, like you you quoted it wrong. I I didn't want you to look dumb in front of the client. And he's like, Never, never do that again. And like, I mean, that just seems asinine. At the end of the day, like our customers pay us to help them get better and and whatever means like i you know we have a value be cool no ego i mean Ultimately, it's our client. Say that. that well, say,
1: say that one more time. What's one of our
0: values is is one of our company values is be cool, no ego.
1: well I can't be cool? It's too late. That that ship has sailed for me. But and I kind of have an ego now.
0: I mean, I think it's, yeah. <laughs> well, you deserve. You're 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 a personality. You have to have an ego.
1: <laughs> no. But the reality
0: is, I mean, people. You know, people pay us to help their business get better. But at the end of the day, it's their business. So if they don't like All our right. ideas, that's their decision to make. And this is. This is a problem we've had with some folks that have worked with us as we've gotten better at, at recruiting and hiring for values and who we want to be as a business, which is like we want to work with people that are smart and care about helping our clients, but also aren't going to go sulk if our clients don't like their ideas. I mean, and, and, and at the end of the day, you know, it's our it's our client's business and they're the ones who have to live with the decisions that they make. We're here at Advisors to help them make the decisions but, but it's their business.
1: I also think, you know, I think more and more we're seeing this in, in this, my own experience. I've worked in consulting and I've worked with consulting companies. So there's the Accentures, there's the big companies. And by the way, I'm not dissing it, those, those guys because they do some tremendous work. Totally, but it's a different model. It's a different model than other little other well called niche specific. You know the the nichey companies where they might have an older group that is coming in, guys in their thirties, forties, fifties, and gals, and who are much older and they are actual experts in that space they they worked in that space and i think that's the difference sometimes is the industry specific knowledge you got an sme versus a subject matter expert versus the peter Rentschler, who is an industry banking industry expert after
0: 3 months at the company totally and i you know i think self awareness is a big part of that too i mean i i there i i have seen a lot and learned a lot in the 7 years that i've spent in the space and i also know that there are people on our team That have had different experiences. And I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a big believer that every, every individual is, is kind of a byproduct of the experiences that they have. And that, that's that what, that's what influences your personality, how you show up and, 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 and the, and sometimes even the thoughts and ideas that you have. And I, I'm a big believer in in bringing in people with different backgrounds and putting them in a room and trying to solve problems and, and, and being respectful and learning from each other's experience. And that's just. That's just not, I mean, that's just not, that wasn't my experience at, at, the, at the bigger firms that I worked with where it was, I mean, everyone was kind of focused on being the smartest person in the room. Right, versus right. Versus like, I mean, I, I actually, I think one of the best things you can say to someone is, I don't have the answer to that. I don't, I don't know. However, I'm going to go find the answer and I'll come back to you within this time period. And then you follow through on it. You've just shown integrity, like follow through commitment transparency
1: but that's where that's lack that's where the lack of ego comes in though because if you can't say i don't know and uh hey you know that's a good question i have no idea let me look into that <laughs> that's totally. that's a lot better than going whoa uh, a whole bunch of uh, bs so where did you go after accenture
0: care yeah, went from Accenture right here. So I was
1: When and why did you decide to go to because that's a big jump. I mean, Care Direct was pretty tiny at that point. So uh, why had, did like, you go from this behemoth, which looks really good on your resume, to Care Direct?
0: You know, and it's it's funny. I mean, I was on I was kind of fast fast tracked promotions at Accenture. Like, I mean, I had I had the career path laid out to get to partner or managing director or whatever they were. Very nice. And, and um you know, I, I just, I think ultimately a lot of the values components started kind of rubbing me the wrong way. And I just felt like the model could be done better. And, and I, it bothered me that they forced people to travel four days a week and, and, and partially because the partners just didn't want to have a tough conversation. Yet I think they're, they're
1: always trying to change that, but the work-life balance has been an issue in that industry.
0: It's tough, and it and it pushes incredible women out of the business because God forbid they want to have children, and it's very difficult. It's a very demanding, and it, it's hard to be away from your family that much. It also pushes young young fathers out that that are committed to being around their family. I mean we've we've hired people that fall into both of those categories, and 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 it's and it's and it's tough.
1: I will say this, and we're we're already starting to see it, and I think we'll see more of it. You know, it would have been it would have been crazy to say this. 10 years ago. But I think we're going to see a lot more people working four days a week. I think you're going to see a lot of baby boomers myself. I'm, a, I'm one of the youngest baby boomers. We're not going to go away. And I think the part of it is because you, if you're living to 90 years old and you're healthy well into your 70s and then somebody says, well, yeah, if you haven't given enough money, just quit. And, and do what? I've devoted, devoted myself to a career. Now I'm going to watch the prices right. So I can see where those guys are going to say, I want to work, but I don't want to work five days a week i don't want to work the 60 hour week anymore i want to work 30 right and if you can add the value and uh why not
0: there's all sorts of creative ways to do that and and you know i mean this is something like for our team you know this is something we have to kind of break people in when they join like you know we sometimes you know we have like morning team meetings and stuff like that but i mean i care more about output than i do than i do uh the the hours. So like, like I like, I mean, if if you can get your work done by by 2pm on Friday, then like, go have fun, go do, go outside and go for a hike or a bike ride. Or I mean, I I moved, my wife and I moved to Boulder after 10 years in Chicago, we moved to Boulder in September. And, you know, and, and we actually we the company kind of uses me as the example to encourage new hires that we mean it when we say this. You know, I mean, if, if you've got a, if I have a two hour block in my afternoon and it's the middle of January and it's 50 degrees and sunny outside, you know, decent chance I'm going to go out and go for a mountain bike ride. But, you know, I got up at 5 a.m. that morning and worked from five to noon. I took a two hour break. I'll come home. I'll work until like over the course of the day and the week. I'm I'm still getting the hours in. I'm just doing it on a different schedule. And as long as you're respectful about your team members time you know, that, that works for everyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a better model. And, and, and I think that's, that's the, that's the thing that um you can do when you're not in the old model. But so anyway, w- what was the reason you decided to, so what was the reason you decided to join Care Direct? How many people did they have at that time and how did they recruit you?
0: Yeah. So we had about, we had, I think four, four team members and it was, the company was started by Jet McCandless, who's since started Project 44. And then Joel Clum. Who's the world? Who's the COO at Worldwide Express? And you know, Joel in 2015, Joel had left to join Worldwide, and Jet was was really focusing on Project 44. So they they hired me, KJ Mcmasters, who's who has a recruiting agency uh, and, and has and has been in the industry forever. KJ actually found me. Basically said, Jet basically told him to go find someone like Joel, and Joel. Went to, was from Michigan. Went to Michigan State, and also worked at Accenture. We didn't know each other, but yeah, he's a Michigan
1: gangster like us. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. But but the point is, is you know, I, I came in, and you know, I, I ultimately did it because I I felt like the business model could be done better, and I transportation and logistics was super interesting to me. I mean, this was so this was 2015. You know, it was it was right before Coyote sold to UPS. All these businesses were just kind of going, were just exploding. I had a ton of friends from college working at them, and you know, I, I thought to myself that you know, I, I think I think transportation is very much like healthcare, in and in a, in a world a thousand years from now where we're using black hole technology to to teleport around the universe, someone still has to operate the portals and and so I, I, right. I and i i think I think the pandemic has really just emphasized how important transportation logistics and supply chains are and 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 so you know I think i just got i got a little lucky that i I came to that conclusion a few years ago and and so that was what ultimately brought me brought me to the business
1: very nice very nice so tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing since you got there and I, mean, I, I and I know there's not four people at metaphor where <laughs> guys have been growing so you came there you came there since 2015 what was what have, what have you been up to with talk about some of the projects you've been working on
0: yeah so you know it's it's I mean it's funny I like jet jet and Joel kind of refer to me as the refounder of the business because you know I, I've actually you know I've, I've since kind of turned over and at this point everyone at the company is someone that that i've hired or or someone that i've hired has hired so today i mean we're about we're a little over a i think we're around 100 or 110 total headcount wow <laughs> yeah and, and you know even in the last i mean a lot of that's been in the last 3 years so so we grew very quickly you know we kind of puttered you know kind of puttered along and then i think between i think we started 2018 with 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 maybe 8 and we finished 2018 with about 25. So, I mean, that's 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 pretty significant and and that was where we kind of learned about the importance of values and hiring the right people, not just people that have the technical skills but that are good kind of culture and values fits for the business. Oh, go ahead.
1: That's fantastic. And I'll throw this out there. I feel as if this industry when I joined it in 08, 09, it was um I felt like it was very entrepreneurial, which I loved. All these companies that were all kind of so a lot of small companies, technology wasn't having the, the full impact yet, nor nor will it ever have the full impact. It's just but the even the investment in websites was like, oh, well, why should I get a website? We make a hundred phone calls a day. It was kind of I'm, it's backwards, not right way to say it. It was immature. And now I think companies like yours growing that fast kind of speaks to the industry maturing where people say, you know what, we just bought this. And, and also the entry of private equity and venture capital. And um, I'll throw it out there. The guys over at FreightWaves, we Sorry. kind of look and go, uh, would that have been here 10, 15 years ago? I, I don't think so. There wasn't a place for it. And now I feel as if there's like a... Very well established venture capital, private equity. It makes sense that we would say also, Hey, I just bought a company and we bought another company. Now we're 200, 300, half a billion in sales. That's when you say, I need help. I want, I, I want to fix our operations. We want to be faster, better, smarter. Help us. So you guys have grown up with the industry
0: yeah and i I think so you are spot on you actually almost took the words out of my mouth. i mean <laughs> when i when I joined we were just do, we did we were just doing management consulting, and it was almost exclusively for three p for freight brokerages and then we started working more with carriers and actually, the foray into working with carriers was because a lot of carriers were starting to expand into logistics, so we helped like we helped Werner and j b Hine and Knight Swift with kind of the early stages of them. Scaling their freight brokerages, Covenant, CRST. And then what happened was we we started noticing this, this, this technology shift in the space. And it, and it, you know, I, I did a lot of banking and insurance clients at Accenture. I, I feel like today transportation, logistics and supply chain are where banking and insurance industries were 30 years ago and, and were. And there, you know, I, I still do think we're at the early stages of the transformation and evolution oh, yeah. of the industry. And, and, and so, you know, so we started, we started offering software development capabilities and then we started software consulting capabilities and, and kind of our business and our capabilities has, have expanded based on the market needs. And, and I mean, you just talked about a company that, that's private equity backed and has done multiple acquisitions. I mean, that's how we got into private equity work is. A PE firm wanted to wanted to make a big investment. They wanted someone to do an industry due due, due diligence on it, and now we've turned it into a whole strategic offering of ours. and right. And so, you know, it's it's been kind of this evolution. And I, I I think that all of that there's a little bit of a chicken and the egg in the sense that a lot of that has been a tailwind for our business in the sense that, like as 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 industries change, there's opportunities for consultancies like ours. You know, I, I also like to like to think that we have helped influence that change with the work that we do and the thought leadership right. for kind of the forward thinking businesses, and then others kind of adopt those those strategies over time.
1: So, what do you see? What do you see as some? Of, and I'm putting you on the spot. I know we didn't talk a lot about this, but I think you probably know it. What are some of the big kind of macro trends you see for our industry?
0: Yeah. So, I mean. It's funny we did not talk about this but I did actually take that I did try to put down some notes on it. I mean, <laughs> you know, I I think, you know, the, the 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 one that I that's that's probably getting a little overplayed at this point but I can't I can't help not talk about it is especially coming out of a conference like Ben Gordon's. I mean, you can't talk to a, a business for more than 10 minutes. Without talking about M and A or outside capital, and right, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, that, like that was that was something. I mean, I I know five businesses right now between 150 and 350 million in revenue that that are all looking for financial partners. Like they're 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 looking for private equity firms, or they're looking to sell to a strategic. And of all all five of those businesses. I mean, none of them were doing more than maybe 50 to 75 million in revenue three or four years ago. So, right. so what's happened is, is kind of you saw this evolution in the, in the, in the brokerage space where like backhaulers spawned off Coyote and, and Command and Echo and AFN. And then those businesses spawned off like Arrive Logistics and Molo and, and some of the other newer entrants. And then like what we're seeing is kind of like the next generation of leaders and businesses are scaling. And I think COVID has been a big accelerator for those businesses.
1: Right. So let me ask a question about this. And then this is always kind of bugs me a little bit. Uh, not the not the fact that people are, you know, private equities here. Uh, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. But I
1: think what it's also done is it's raised expectations. Because now like if somebody says, hey, it, it, there's a guy who lived down the street from you and says, yeah, I, I got a, I love a freight brokerage and uh, we do about 20 million in sales. You'll be like, dude's killing it. Good for you. <laughs> and and that, but now you're like 20 million. Well, you got to expand. you got to do this. you got to do that. that and, and by the way, I, I think what it's kind of, and it's not going to happen overnight, but I think you're going to see more of those kind of, that almost looks like a lifestyle business now. You're going to have to grow up. And it's going to be hard to compete without the technology and without the uh, scale, which means you get you, kind of forced into the arms of, venture capital or private equity. And I would also suggest this. Not everybody has that. We're not all from Silicon Valley. All, we don't didn't all go to business school. So I think in a lot of ways those guys need help from you guys. They're not this they're not the sexy guys who say, yeah, we got we got an unlimited budget. But I think somewhere along the line they're gonna need help to exit.
0: Yeah, and that's something, you know, that it's actually it's funny. I mean we're 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 we are actively working on, you know, what are creative ways that allow us to work with smaller companies. Yeah, well, I it's is, a, they don't have a ton
1: of money for investment in that. I, wait, I definitely wait, wait, understand. Which is that. fine,
0: but but the reality is, I mean, it's you know, it's tough for a business under maybe fifty million in revenue to find the capital to spend with outside help like ours. But to your point, they're also the folks where it can be the most impactful. And there are some things we're working on that you'll see come out over the next. Couple months that are basically around us, trying to build kind of smaller, out of the box projects where you might not not you might not get as much kind of analysis or or thoughtware uh, <laughs> uh, with with the project. But at the same time, you know it's it's smaller, bite sized. Hey, here's something that's like a little bit off the shelf, and and we can configure it a little bit to your business. It'd be it's nice not, to
1: have. It'd be nice if somebody. I mean, I just said, here's the path, dude. Follow this path. We can help you.
0: <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. And so, you know, th- those are some, th- 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 you know, that's definitely a big trend I'm seeing in the space. I think the other thing, I think that we're finally hitting critical mass where for the most part, off the shelf technology has, has ha- there's enough off the shelf technology and third party software available that it, it definitively does not make sense to build 100% of your technology stack. And, and I would even argue that it, it probably doesn't make sense to build more than, you know, maybe somewhere between 50 and 75% of the tech stack, just because there's so much great third-party software. And, and that was, I mean, three to five years ago, three five years ago, certainly, and, and probably even two to three years ago, that was not the case. And, 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 um, and I think that's been another big shift that we've seen.
1: I, I can tell you this. I, I remember going through this my own looking when I was still at a third-party logistics company where we are considering new software. And I won't mention the names, but I remember, first off, we had used five different softwares over a sh- re- relatively short period of time. But I remember getting demos and going, God, this isn't very intuitive. And where my, my, my head went right away was, I have to explain, you know, we have to sell, when we get this and we start using it, I got to sell it to, uh, 300 companies with hundreds of users and I don't want it to be six screens. I don't want them to go, oh, well, that's real easy. Just tab over here and and hit, and hit next page. We have come a long way. I can tell you, I look at, uh, software now and I'll mention some. I did, I I see, just had a demo of Turbo. It's, it's real easy. And you know, I, I say this all the time on my podcast, consumer technology that we all use, you know, the, uh, whether it's Facebook or eBay or Amazon, Lyft, <laughs> Instacart, that's driving Amazon. It drives expectations. And you go, I'm, why, why is this so great at home? And then I go to work and I got a clunky screen. I want the nice stuff.
0: <laughs> you know, this is, it's funny you say that because. I mean, again, to, to kind of how you're taking words out of my mouth. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think in 2018 or 2019, we did a state of the industry. And one of the trends that we identified was about how consumer experience is driving B2B expectations. And I, I mean, I've, you know, I talk about some of the work that we do with with shippers. And we worked with a pretty sizable, we did some work with AbbVie, which is a, a sizable pharma uh, manufacturer off of Abbott Labs, and you know, I mean, I- I'll never forget this. This cha- this supply chain exec is like says, "I I don't understand why I can order a dozen rolls of toilet paper from Amazon and know exactly where it is, and yet somehow our systems can't tell us where a ten million dollar shipment right. of pharmaceuticals are." And 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 I feel their pain, and so you know, as you think about what. Capacity providers need to provide to create a better customer experience. I mean, I'm I'm a big believer in building for flexibility and adaptability. And and the the way the the easier you is, the easier you make it to for your customers to work with you and 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 provide value. I think the faster or the the better your business will be. and, And that, you know, five, 10, 15 years from now. The businesses that really make it are going to be the ones that invested in and built for flexibility and adaptability to solve problems like the ones we're talking about.
1: Yeah. And I really do think it's really a hard sell right now You know, when you say, I've got this real simple technologies in my life uh, that I use and I love. And then I go to work and somebody says, hey, we got a new transportation management system and they want to explain to us, "We you got to go to the half hour training. You're like, half hour training? It that's would been real a half hour would have been real good ten years ago. Now it feels like I shouldn't have to do anything. It should be so intuitive. It hooks up to my systems, pulls my information. All I have to do is hit approve. And the idea now is the bar is just raised. And again, I think consumer tech has done that for us. Yeah,
0: so I totally agree.
1: So I know I'm going to lose you at the top of the alley. I have a few more questions. So you guys have grown very rapidly, you know, from four people when you started in 2000. What did you say?
0: 15. 15
1: 14? Yeah, 2015. And then, uh, so you've grown like a weed. What are some of the growing pains? What are some of the turning points that you hit, like those inflection points where you go, "Oh boy, <laughs> that, that was that was a, either a big bite or maybe a, a kick in the shins that you didn't expect." <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I t- I talked about all the growth in 2018. You know, I think we tripled the the headcount size, and we had Whoa. we had well, it was you know, it was eight to 25, right? So smaller numbers at the time. That's still a lot. Totally, and 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 I I'm a young, I mean, I was a young CEO and a young leader, and 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 I'll never forget. Within like one week, we had two, or we had we had three team members quit, and all kind of out of the blue, unexpected. I had a town hall, basically stood in front of the company and said, something's not working, and I'm here to find out what it is. And let's let's have an open dialogue about it. And it turned out, you know, people felt like they were, they were just people working on projects and not a part of a company. Like I hadn't, and and my shortcomings were I hadn't defined a vision for the business. I hadn't defined company values and a shared operating model for us to work on. By the way, it
1: feels very Unnecessary when you're small
0: when you're at that time and scaling quickly and you're and by the way, we were winning huge accounts i mean we were we were working with fedex g e and j b hunt at the time and and so the point is is you know i I realized that 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 how I think about my job had to change during that time too and 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 we we kind of have have undergone a bit of a cultural revolution in that in the last three or four years as a result. And so, you know, really hard, but also a really, really... Well, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, it did work. <laughs> and I mean, you know, and the, and the other one, and my my favorite book is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. I think it's by, it's either Ben Horowitz or Mark Andreessen, one of those Oh, people. nice. And um, so the second half of 2019, I turned over the entire leadership team. Like five people, like four or five people in six months that were i mean every everyone was either moved out of the business or moved into a completely different role and you know i i i had realized it was one of the hardest things i've ever had to do but i realized that we had people that were great to help us grow but couldn't help us bring stability and and so you know i i think that that's that was another kind of hard thing you know, and then and then maybe the last one. I mean, COVID was tough. Like, co- we joke about how oh, co- yeah. the pen. You know, as a discretionary spend services business, you know, we had a lot of customers stop projects, put things on hold. Well, nobody knew us. what to.
1: Nobody knew what to do right away. So I think the first thought was, "Hey, this could be the end of the world. Let's cut budgets."
0: Right. <laughs> well, totally. And so I mean, you know, we we had to do. We ended up having to lay off about six people, and we we did end up offering all you know all of them. Their jobs back within a few months because we needed the help again. But you know, we didn't feel we, good. <laughs> no, and and we all and and most of them had found other jobs and we hired. But anyway, but the point is, is like we we refer to the pandemic as the most fun I never want to have again because because I, I I really do think that it forced our business to be better. And I'll never forget I'm in a poker group with some other CEOs, not not in the industry, just other other folks that I know. And mm. there was one guy who sold his company, like. Mid February, right before COVID and we're sitting there a week or two into the shutdowns and like the half of us are operating still and the other half had had exited their businesses. And the guy who just sold his business said, I know that you, I know that right now it seems like you have this insurmountable problem in front of you, but like you will come out of the pandemic with stronger teams and more resilient businesses because it will force you to get better. And and I 100% believe that that's how, that was the effect that COVID had on us.
1: Right. I love what you said there. So there was that book again, The Hard Thing About Doing Hard Things?
0: The, the Hard Thing About Hard Things.
1: The, yeah. One of the things I've been kind of reminding myself of lately is this idea of you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable, whether that means physically or conversations. You know, I've I've, I've heard somebody say also, and I'm sure this is, this is kind of, part of what you're doing is a lot of uncomfortable situations where you have to let somebody go, where you have to say I have to reexamine myself and I have to grow up, I have to change my leadership team. All of these are super hard things that you had to do. You know it's easier not doing it. <laughs>
0: right? Well, however, so so one of my one of my favorite quotes from that from that book is every time you do the the easy wrong thing, you get a little bit more cowardly. And every time, every time you do the hard, right thing, you get a little bit more courageous. So any, anytime I'm going into a situation like that, I literally remind myself, like I play a highlight reel in my mind of something that was really hard that I didn't want to do, but I knew it was the right thing. And then. The, all of the good things that did eventually come out of that. It's, it's hard. Yeah, that,
1: that, that is absolutely necessary. And I think we need to do that to ourselves physically. We have to push yourself, as you said, getting out on that mountain bike when you don't want to, and getting getting to the gym when you don't want to, having that salad when you don't want to. All of us want to jump to comfort. And during COVID, it was easy to jump into that. Oh, well, I'll just go to a blanket and watch TV. Wrong. You got to get out and go for that that long walk. with anyway, Peter, I know I'm going to lose you. So before you go, What I'll do is I'll put a link to Metaphor, formerly Carrier Direct, in the show notes, and everyone can link to you there or connect with you there. I'll also put a link to your LinkedIn profile and any other links that uh, you guys give me. But tell us again, who do you guys serve and what do you do for those customers?
0: Yeah, so we're, you know, customer base are carriers, freight brokers, 3PLs, forwarders, capacity providers. We work with shippers. We work with private equity firms and investment banks and financial sponsors, And then we also work with freight tech companies. And I, you know, I I like to summarize it by saying that, you know, we're, we're in the business of helping other people do great things. We're in the business of helping drive change. If, if there's something in your business that, that you want to do differently, if it's, if you want to grow, if you want to, if you want to change the way you do compensation, if you think that you could um, run your sales process better, or if there's new technology that you, that you want to invest in, but you're not sure how to go about doing it. We, we love to have those conversations and we don't bill like accountants. We love to jump on the phone with someone for two hours. And if we can solve their problem and give them the advice that they need in two hours, they don't need our help. You know, it's, it's, it's generally project-based work and we have some other offerings, but, but the point is, is like, we love talking to people in the space. We're constantly talking to others and, and we'd just be happy to talk through and, and see if we can help. And if, if we can't, then chances are, we know someone that can.
1: Yep. Well, I can tell you this from my own experience, and I've talked to a lot of people from Career Direct over the years. It's always really smart, down to earth people. And again, it kind of reflects in your, your, your ideas, the, what well, your uh, values is that be cool and uh, no ego. Cause it's, yep. you know, that's, that's almost kind of guaranteed what you're going to get when you go to a larger consulting firm sometimes is, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of ego. And by the way, that's kind of how you get to the, to-, to the top of those organizations is by, Every all these other smart people going, oh, yeah, that guy's the smartest. Totally. And I don't think that's uh, necessarily a recipe for success when you're trying to make big changes.
0: I agree entirely. Anyway, Peter, thank you so much. I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this interview.
1: But I appreciate you making the time.
0: Me too. It was, it was definitely worth the wait. I appreciate the time. I love what you're doing. And um, thanks thank for you. having me on. Thanks yeah. you
1: so much. And thank all of you for listening. To my podcast, your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm run Upward.
0: You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.